Hey y'all, listen up. <laughs> Welcome to the Joy Fuel Kindcast, a show dedicated to global joy. Joy Fuel shines a light on people, kids, and grown-ups all around the world, doing things for kindness, creativity, and joy. Becky Suzik is our host, our friend, our partner for joy. She's also my mom. The Joy Fuel Kindcast exists to increase global joy. Listeners are invited to open their hearts and minds to guest stories, to consider our own connection to kindness and creativity, and how we can use these as gateways to deepen our practice and experience of joy. Thanks for listening. I'm Colin, and this is my mom. Hello, Mother. Hiya, Joy Fuelers, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Joy Fuel Kindcast. We're about a month into our new season, and it feels really affirming to have heard from a few of our listeners Thank you, Mom. (laughs) Sharing your thoughts about the program, ideas, and suggestions. Thanks to listener Greg Akuna in India at Planet Earthlings for suggesting this next idea. We now have a special new feature on our Joy Fuel website where you, beautiful listeners, can record and submit a voicemail message of up to three minutes each message. Have an idea, question, or feedback about the kind cast? Call the Joy Line. Know someone committed to the kindness trifecta, that's kindness, creativity, and or joy, call the joy line. And I'm on it like joy on a monkey. Want to sing a song for joy? Call the joy line. Ooh, that was rough. Hey, have a kindness story. Call the joy line. Visit joyfuel.org backslash joyline to record and deliver a message that we might just share on a future show. Ooh, but don't let that scare you because you can review before you hit send. It's super easy, super cool, and it comes to you thanks to the gifts of our wonderful Joy Fuelers that are supporting our show on our Patreon page. We now have a subscription and we'll be able to hear many more Joy Fuelers voices from around the world, perhaps you. And speaking of being in service to Joy, segue, let me introduce today's guest. Perhaps now more than ever, we need to feel hope, like we are part of something good and kind amidst a world that is hurting and changing. John Pavlovitz is a blogger, author, and has been a pastor for over 20 years, a minister steeped in the Christian faith. John is a husband and father and also an activist for human rights and for LGBTQ equality. John is a frequent speaker and sermonizer in Raleigh, North Carolina at UU Peace Fellowship and also a minister at North Raleigh Community Church. He contributes to Huffington Post and churchleaders.com and many other digital information channels. John's forthcoming book, Hope and Other Superpowers, offers ideas about the human superpowers we are capable of expressing, like kindness, creativity, and joy, and the role these play in developing hope for our world. We're welcoming John Pavlovitz to the Joyfield Kindcast. I'm really excited that John is here to, uh, to talk with us today about his new book that's coming out, Hope and Other Superpowers, and also specifically around the categories in his book on kindness, creativity. And we'll talk a little bit about joy too. What I'd like us to do to come fully present into this moment is to take a mindful moment. Mm-hmm. We move a million miles an hour. Yes. And you and I both keep to get here today, ah, you know, <laughs> and uh, being charged with coffee, just to take a moment, just for ourselves and for our listeners to take a deep breath. And just come into this moment and um, and listen to this little bell. And we'll just take 
about 30 seconds of quiet just to breathe deeply and be present to ourselves. Welcome, John. Thank you. It's just such a joy to be here, really. Really excited and grateful for you to be here today to talk with me and our listeners about these incredible topics of creativity, kindness, and joy. Mm. And um, I was really excited to get an advanced sneak peek look at your book, (laughs) uh, Hope and Other Superpowers. And... um, that you have dedicated chapters to some of these topics. Yes. And I'm excited to talk with you today about the book and your other book, The Bigger Table, and uh, and really your, your journey to here mm-hmm. and your journey with creativity and kindness and perhaps to talk a little bit about self-kindness. Mm, sure. Um, and um, to share some maybe if you have practices with our listeners to help um, generate more ideas for people to have hope and hang on to hope yes. and use hope as a compass point. When you think back to your childhood and growing up, can you remember a particular moment of kindness that happened in your life that stands out? Is there something that you remember? You know, I was fortunate that I had many people around me who were intentional about letting me know my worth and that they valued me. I always tell people that I had a family story that told me that people were for me. And so there are so many moments during my life that I can remember people pulling me aside to sort of stop me and look me in the eye and let me know that I was important and that I was original. And, you know, I I had um, an aunt who would do that really well. And and she would say things, you know, like, I, I see the good in you, right? And it's like such a simple thing. But when people do that, you may not even believe it at the time, but it sticks with you. And, you know, I, I've talked about in the book that those things began to alter my road, the way that I perceived myself, because I, I could imagine what it would be like not to have those voices. Um, and, and because they... You're always trying to argue out of your self-worth. You're always trying to look at, you see your flaws and your failings, they're ever present. And when someone else speaks those words, it sort of argues in your favor and you need that that dissenting voice. Mm -hmm. And so that's, uh, I've I've been fortunate to have many of those moments. Mm -hmm. Now, being a family man, is there anything that you particularly cultivate within your family, with your children and, and Jennifer that... Would, would you say revolve around kindness? Well, well and with my family, you know, there are a couple of things. Part of it is is teaching them the value of, of extending kindness. So there there's this practice of, of looking around and and we, we will be driving and we'll intentionally look for, oh, this person looks like they're struggling. And, and initially I can remember we would pull the car over, for example, to help someone on the side of the road. And my son being younger would say, oh, dad, aren't you worried about this or that? Or what if this happens? And I would, you know, teach him that those things, those fears are less important than what we're going to be gaining by stepping into someone's life. 
And so that, in a very practical way, has been sort of the rhythm of our family. But then when you go to kindness toward one another, um, it's funny because we can develop a language of kindness that is built around sarcasm with our kids. Like with my, my son especially, there's a sense of humor that begins to uh, take precedence. And sometimes it can steal the authenticity. So part of what my job as a dad is to do is to take those times when it says we're going to take off that sarcasm and that artifice and we're going to actually just speak plainly. So I give many embraces during the day just walking by, <laughs> even though it embarrasses them the older they get. Um, but then to really speak and let them know I'm not kidding right now, you know. Um, so that's a huge part of, of being a parent. You tell a story about your brother and his coming out. Yes. And when I think about kindness around people who are telling that story and how many times there's not a lot of kindness. Mm. When somebody in the family, whether it's coming out or whatever we have to reveal that is yeah. adversary to what the family culture is. Yeah, yeah. For us, you know, in our, our family, when my brother came out, uh, you know, I wasn't present, but I, I've had the story retold to me that there was a great emotional upheaval as those things are just unexpected moments. And there was a lot of, because we're Italian, there was a lot of bombast and <laughs> loud voices and that everything died down. And the story goes that everyone was sitting in the kitchen and my mom began to sort of cry again. And my dad looked at her and said, well, what are you, what are you crying about? And she looked at my brother and said, I just want him to be happy. And, and my dad said, don't be happy, Eric, be gay. And for him, <laughs> it was a way of saying, I'm going to I'm going to use humor in this moment to to tell my son I don't know I don't understand this necessarily but I my love for you we're going to still be a family we're going to be exactly who we were as far as my love for you and that's when when we hear unexpected news that changes the narrative that we had in our heads I think it's important just to breathe and to let the person across from us know the news that you've just shared with me, I may not understand, but my connection with you is going to be unbroken. And it so, takes so little to do that, but so many people get it wrong, you know, in doing this work and, and being trying to be an ally for LGBTQ uh, teenagers. Parents often just jump right into the questions or just jump right into the fears or what they don't know, mm -hmm. rather than affirming and understanding the fact that the person who's sharing that is so vulnerable and so fragile and so to lead with their needs in mind and not your own mm. yeah. I love that story about your dad That's yeah you know and that was who he was and, and, and I think it was that set the tone for our family from that moment because it really said this nuclear family the, the, the six of us we are not going to be affected from the outside yeah. by this and whatever the reactions are going to be we are still uh, kind of a united front and that really it changed a lot for mm -hmm. us and it also changed how we responded to extended family and to friends and and then it also helped people around us in our periphery who were um, dealing with the same things and they knew they could be safe with us and so my parents actually became really um, th this gravitational pull from people who were saying I'm not accepted where I am but they knew that these are people who I can be safe with. Mm. And that, that showed me a lot about being bold to express those things publicly because other people are listening in. Mm. Yeah. It really is wonderful to think about, especially when you have a stressful situation on news, what kindness, what does kindness look like right mm. now? You know, breathing, <laughs> yes. stepping back. 
and uh, not projecting. I need to do that better as a parent. Right. Uh, myself. <laughs> like it's really, it's hard uh, no matter what yes. our kids have to announce. Um, tell us about your book. Yeah, the, the book started about a year ago when someone was sharing with me how disheartened they were at the world and what was happening and seeing the news. And she sort of said, you know, doesn't anyone know how to be a decent person anymore? And I said, well, sure, a lot of people do, but you may not see them or hear them right now. You may be focusing on other things. And so I began to think about her and began to think about how could I write something that would just be a reminder to people, just a simple prompt to say, look around you and begin to notice and take an inventory. And so the, the question at the heart of the book is, what kind of person does the world need? And if I asked a group of people, regardless of their theology or their politics or their na nation of origin, there would be a lot of commonality. And so those things like kindness and compassion, generosity began to come up the more I asked those questions. And so I just began to focus on those things and focus on stories of people who saw a gap in the world of those things and said, I'm going to fill it because I'm capable of filling it. Or maybe they didn't even realize at the time they were filling it, but now they look back and say, wow, look what I've been able to, to do or be a part of. Um, so that's really the book. It's an encouragement. You know, I tell people a book is not going to change the world, but it hopefully it can help encourage you while you change it. And so that's kind of mm. sketch of it. Hope as a superpower. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. I, you know, I... I think that we love stories of people doing these fantastic things and these extraordinary things. And we kind of escape into those stories and we don't stop to realize how extraordinary of a story we're each part of. And so part of it was me thinking about growing up before I knew better, I thought I had superpowers. I thought I could do all these things. And then life begins to remind you or tell you that you can't. You start, you know, start believing that. And so for me, the imagery of superpowers is this beautiful way of understanding that there are things inside us that when we extend ourselves into the world, we tap into those things. We didn't realize they were there. And then once we do, those things begin to get stronger and we hone them and we cultivate them. And so it's about finding what are the things in you, what has your road given you that no one else has? Your unprecedented journey in the history of the planet, you have this story that has solely wired you to do certain things. So how can you do that? Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. We talk a little bit about creativity and the impact of creativity on hope. You have a whole chapter dedicated to creativity. Yes. And would love to hear um, your thoughts about creativity and maybe if it ties into joy, too. I, th I think you talk about that in the book as well. Yeah, well, I, you know, my first, uh, when I was about four or five, I knew I wanted to be an artist and that never wavered. And I went to school and for, to become an illustrator and got a scholarship to college and was working in that field. And, and music has also been a huge part of my life growing up. And those creative acts... Um, what I've found is when I'm on my unhealthiest or my most stressed, I tend to um, not do those things as often. So even talking to people after the election or, you know, in 2016, they stopped doing some of the things that they loved doing, the things that gave them meaning. Um, and for me, the connecting to that muse is so important. Staying connected to those like elemental life-giving things Um something transformational happens in me when I write a song or when I draw again. Um, it's just a different way to express the things that are inside me and well, again, in ways that nothing else can do. Mm. Yeah. 
And the joy that that produces, it almost surprises you. Uh, you know, I can remember sitting down with a guitar and hearing this song start to come into my head and being so excited that I was trying to keep up and I'm writing and I'm writing and I'm singing and then I realized that within a half hour, this song that had never existed before was suddenly suddenly existed. And that co-creative act is just, I mean, that is powerful. And so as a person of faith, I always would marvel at the fact that creative people could deny the existence of a higher power because they had experienced the act of creation. Mm -hmm. They had been witness to having something not be there and then making it so. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's a joy. I've seen that in your blog over the years, mm. um, too, because you started it in, was it 2014? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think and, right. and it's grown, and but you were pitching, you know, pitching your essays out into the world, you know, your thoughts and, yeah. and that for a long time before there was a you know, big following that, that you have now. Mm. And creating something that didn't exist, you know, through, through your work with words. Yeah. And... Um, for those of you who may know about John's blog, he is an impassioned writer, and as you're learning, as you're listening to show, an impassioned speaker, and I wonder if you might read a little excerpt from your book for I'm us sure. so we can hear your voice. Creativity is one of the greatest weapons against despair and hopelessness because it's so versatile. It changes form depending on the hands that wield it. Creativity can give us language for grieving and celebrating. It can be a form of activism, an expression of faith, an act of communion with others, an embracing of identity, a reclaiming of story. It can be an agent of change and a balm for those in need. Creativity is both an outlet and offering of expression, something given and received. Many religious traditions speak of the soul, that spark of the divine inside each of us that transcends our blood and bone. And whether or not you claim faith of any kind, you've probably experienced instances of doing something that you love and find joy in. Moments when you know you're in the sweet spot of your calling, when you feel connected to the world in a way that transcends description and cannot be quantified with words. Creativity is a portal to our imagination. Albert Einstein said that creativity is intelligence having fun, a perfect description because it reminds us what an elixir the act of making and building and doing is to our world-weary souls, the way it rouses our intellects and imaginations back to life when we sustain emotional wounds. The act of creating does more than simply generate images or make music or start a business. It allows us to give people joy using the very things that give us joy. As they say, art does imitate life. That was John Pavlovitz reading from his forthcoming book, Hope and Other Superpowers. Great, is there sir. going to be a audio version? There of is. Yeah, I'm actually in September. I'm going for four days and recording it. And the whole idea of it is a little bit of a laugh uh, for me. It's kind of absurd in some ways. But to, <laughs> to know that, you know, you will have be able to do that because people do feel a connection to writing. But then when they hear your voice, it's just a deeper way for them to feel that connection. And so it's going to be uh, interesting to do that. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. 
Well, in, in the book, in the kindness chapter, you talk about a, a young person, a 12 year old, um, Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, in the Joy Feel Kind cast, each episode, we're hoping to feature a youth who is doing something for kindness, creativity, Great. and joy. And when I read about Austin's story, I thought, well, well, he could be this episode's, uh, feature. And yes. I wonder if you would tell us a little bit of his story. Yeah, Austin, um, he w- was noticing one day w- he, that the meal that his mother had planned um, was very um, humble. And it had been sort of that it had been often that they only had a, a really kind of meager meal. And he, he began to realize, okay, well, what can I do? I, I can't buy those things, but maybe I can grow something. And so he actually began that day to try to start this garden in his home where outside his home where they could actually uh, grow food that they could eat. And his mother began to help him. Neighbors started hearing about it. The community people began helping him and teaching him. And then they began to assemble this garden that sustained not only his family, but he said to me, I talked to him last year, he said, I thought, well, if I can feed my family, maybe I can feed other families. And now they're growing this community garden and he has a a vlog that he does and he teaches people how to grow and he's always learning. And it's just extraordinary to see this young man and to hear him um, be so entrepreneurial about basic needs that we overlook every day. So for him, it's not this insurmountable problem. It was, I'm going to actually get my hands dirty, literally, and do something. Uh, so just to see someone that young begin to have that big of an eye for um, the, the needs around him, it's really a... Um, gives you so much uh, hope. Mm. You know? you, you, he's in Indiana? Uh, yes. Right? Yes. And um, he, well, he, and he was in the, actually he was in the inner city. And so where he, where he was, you know, the idea of gardening was also a foreign thing. So he was such a trailblazer in this idea. And, uh, you know, it was great because when I talked to him on the phone, um, the house was chaotic and there were so many, he's <laughs> got all these siblings and all this stuff. And he was just, um, so quiet in the middle of this, just talking about um, how matter of fact it all was. He just said, I just wanted to feed people. And so I started a garden. Um, and that's really the heart of like, if we all could just wake up every day with those kind of eyes to say, where is the need around me? And what am I placed to do? And all of a sudden, if more and more the ripples of those things, you know, because the, the people in Austin's community, the adults, they have been completely changed by him and the people who are helping encourage him and partnering him with him. It's such a, mm-hmm. amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we'll include a link to his, his vlog. He has a vlog. Yeah. Yes, he um, does. He's and, got a YouTube uh, channel and, uh, you know, he's, he's doing all sorts of stuff now. That's awesome. We'll yeah. add that to our, where you're listening to this, there'll be some links. Do you have, when things get overwhelm mode, um, I keep thinking of a time that you were talking about, was it tortilla chips? Self-kindness rituals. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any, uh, or, or things that you do? Self-preservation, <laughs> self-kindness. I like to think of self-kindness, though. <laughs> yeah, well, aside from chocolate and wine, we'll, we'll just put those to the side as, as a given. Um, you know, I, I always tell people the hardest thing to do is to, 
and I'm going to use this in air quotes, but you can't see them, um, (laughs) to be selfish about ourselves. Because most of us, we do have inclinations to help other people and to see need and to see pain, but it's really difficult to attend to ourselves. There feels like a there feels like a selfishness that I shouldn't be doing this. Um, and, and a lot of people who are caregivers and, 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 and empathetic people, they fall into that trap because they become defined by caring for others. So I try to help people understand that you need to look in the mirror and say, what does that person need? And so I've been really, since I was in college, I, w- I learned how to um, really be kind to myself, to just have these days where I would go out to lunch by myself or go to the movies and do the things that that give my heart joy. It's a really simple thing, but the music that you love to say, I'm just going to sit and listen to this music, or I'm going to get out in nature because nature begins to give me a, a pause that I don't get anywhere else. Um, so I, I never apologize for those moments. I may do them less frequently than I should, but when I'm there, I know I don't feel like it's time wasted because there, you know, one of the things I learned from a man named um, Mike Iaconelli, who was a pastor. And he, he said, you know, just there is no such thing as as wasted time doing nothing when you're intentional about that, right? When you mm-hmm. sit and say, I'm going to be at rest and silence and solitude, there's never, it always yields something productive. Mm-hmm. It's never just wasted where you could have been doing something else. So I, I, you know, music is a huge thing for me. I will go out and do that mm-hmm. and, um, and, and nature for me is also the place where it gives me a, a different white space inside. It begins because the stimuli is all just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's not angry and it's not noisy and it doesn't conflict with what I'm believing. It just it just gives me that moment to rest. Mm-hmm. You tell a story about you too. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a perfect example because, you know, woke up one morning and did what I always do, which is before I even got out of bed, I began looking at my Twitter feed and mm-hmm. felt the heart rate rising and the, you know, jaw clenching and all that. And, you know, saw that U2 was playing a few hours away and thought, you know what, I just feel like I need that. And and knowing that, well, that sounds, that sounds selfish. So saying to my wife, here's what I'm thinking is, you know, and she's really generous in that and understands. And so she said, yeah, sure, go. And so within a couple hours, you know, I'm driving to Washington, D.C. on this sort of pilgrimage, knowing that I, I need to be with, you know, tens of thousands of people hearing these songs that are meaningful because it always has been a spiritual experience for me. You know, that is that is what church feels like at its best to me. Uh, so, you know, got there and by that time in sundown, I was standing there hearing the, you know, those songs and uh, and then leaving feeling like, you know, it was 2.30 in the morning, driving back, physically exhausted, but emotionally and spiritually just alive. And so, you know, I could have floated home, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> That's awesome. um, and I think from time to time, we do need to be extravagant. Yeah. In in just attending to our souls, it's like radical self kindness. Yeah, like right. Really, the root of I have to do this. And yeah, and again, it's, it you know, the it's only it's not selfish. It's it's understanding that you are the resource that you have. If you yeah. you know you expiring in this life early, or you becoming physically unhealthy. That's we can't be martyrs to our own compassion for other people. We have to realize that we want to sustain ourselves so that this is not just a, a quick burst, you know. 
Oh, that's that's so true. That's such good wisdom, wise advice. On our show, we like to share new music with our listeners. And mm-hmm. I wonder if there is a song or an artist that you would like to introduce us to and we'll we'll take a break and listen to the song. Yeah, uh you know, Frank Turner is a singer-songwriter who's um he's been around for quite a bit. Uh, still a young guy though, and uh he he wrote an album that is basically a response to what's happening in America and just seeing the division and seeing uh the anger and the album is called Be More Kind. And the, the, the song itself is just basically looking at the world and saying, um, in a world that has decided that it's going to lose its mind, be more kind, my friends, try to be more kind. That that you can get caught in the flow of that negativity and that anger. And the uh, the other alternative is to go the opposite direction and to, to be effusive and intentional in being kind. Awesome. So, well, we'll have a listen. We'll take a break and we'll be back in a moment. History's been leaning on me lately I can feel the future breathing down my neck And all the things I thought were true When I was young and you were too Turned out to be broken And I don't know what comes next In a world that has decided that it's going to lose its mind Be more kind, my friends, try to be more kind Sea. 
where the dry line stands is hard to say. As the current drags us by the shore, we can no longer say for sure who's drowning or if they can be saved. When you're out there floundering like a lighthouse, I will shine. Like a beacon reaching out to you and yours from me and mine Be more kind, my friends, try to be more kind In a world that has decided that it's going to lose its mind Be more kind, my friends, try to be more kind That was Frank Turner's song, Be More Kind, from his album, Be More Kind. You can find out more about Frank's music at www.frank-turner.com or visit our show notes page today at joyfuel.org backslash three. You're listening to the Joy Fuel Kindcast, and today's guest is author, writer, pastor, John Pavlovitz. And John, I just, I really enjoyed that song and thank you for bringing Frank's song to our show and to our listeners. It really speaks about what we're able to do ourselves just to, just to hold that question. How can I be more kind? I'm a, a wordophile. I just love words. Mm. And I did a quick search on how many times you said the word love in the book. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you know the answer? To I that? don't know it. But it was 65. Okay. So lo- I think love wins. I think a lot uh-huh. of love. Um, and um, I didn't count hope because hope was on the title page and it was just an explosion. Right, that's not fair. Right, yeah. Uh, the 21 <laughs> times for kindness, uh, 40 times for joy. Mm. 25 times for creative or creativity, and 26 times for suffer or suffering. Mm. These are the common denominators of your work, you know, inspiring hope through these gateways Mm -hmm. of remembering that by nurturing and cultivating kindness and joy and creativity and these other gateways that you have in your book, that it does help us to live a more hopeful life and take actions not just shrivel away and not yeah. feel that we do matter and your your work is very empowering to remind people of that so I, I thought I'd just share some of those stats with you. I'm not yes. a statistician I'm a word lover <laughs> recently you spoke in Montana in Billings and there was an article that I read by Mike Ferguson online at the Billings Gazette and he listed some things that you talked about for hospitality. And I think hospitality and kindness are like oh, yeah. brother, sister. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, he said that um, you was, were talking about the four non-negotiables for your, your previous book. Yes, The Bigger Table. The Bigger Table, sorry. Yeah. Um, and um, that was talking about it being a metaphor for welcoming people, your, your book whether it's in a church, social, or political setting. And I wonder if you'd take a moment to talk about hospitality as it lines with um, kindness and if you want to share those things that you sure. shared in that talk. Yeah, for me, you know, I call hospitality the Italian mother's welcome. Uh, you know, for me growing up, 
uh, the table and food was an invitational uh, tool, right? And it was a way that disarmed people and let them know that they were welcomed. And for me, that's the heart of of hospitality is making people feel celebrated. You know, I tell people there's there's a difference when you're in a place when you're celebrated as opposed to merely tolerated, as opposed to not wanted. And no one has to use words for any of those. You know, you can feel that from the body language and the countenance. And so hospitality for me is trying to let people know they're celebrated as they are without caveat or condition. And that became the heart of, the, of a bigger table for me of, of the kind of spiritual community that I wanted to create. The kind that in my faith tradition I found in Jesus that he, he meets for a meal with religious elite and people who are living in the street and priest and prostitute. He meets with them for a meal and he lets them know they're seen and heard and loved. And that, again, is such an elemental, simple thing, but that act is profound for the person who is being invited, mm. right? So that invitation is is a huge portion of kindness. How does listening play into that? Hearing people's stories, to me, I think when we listen deeply, not in response, but just in hearing, it creates, it's like a magic. It's like a medicine. Yeah. And so I wonder if you have any feelings or anything you'd like to share about listening and, pe- and the power of people's stories and a hospitable kind of setting. Yeah. Well, well being a, a pastor for a couple of decades, what you learn fairly early on, unless you're so arrogant that you, that you believe otherwise, is that people come to you with things that you can't fix or change or heal. They're, they're far beyond you. And so often I would meet with someone, they would tell me this story that I was ill-equipped to really do anything about, but at the end of them telling me the story, there would be this exhale and they'd say, thank you. And I hadn't done anything but give them space to say the words. And and that space is transformational for people because they hear the words come out of their mouths and also as if they're hearing it differently. And, and just that you're sitting there with them, they don't feel as outnumbered as they had. Uh, you know, I deal with a lot of people who are struggling with depression and anxiety and those things. And, and the isolation is part of what works against them. And so when you share space with someone, you let them tell their story, you're with them in that story now, and they're not outnumbered. So that, that's, that's always been to me the best thing I can do as a pastor when people are struggling or grieving is to be present. And that presence is, says whatever you need it to say. You know. Let me shift and talk a little bit about joy. Recently, you spoke at UU Peace Fellowship in Raleigh, yes. and the topic was joy, my favorite topic. Uh-huh. And I was grateful to be able to, to hear you speak that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, joy is resistance and humor. And uh, two things that I love when I hear you speak is you had us telling jokes and uh, and reminding us of, of humor and the power of humor yes. and the importance of it to um, to help support us, support our joy. That's Yeah, laughter is, you know, it's medicinal in ways that nothing else is. And so, you know, just to give space in a setting where people are gathering and they're expecting, they want to hear something that's going to be encouraging or profound or whatever they're waiting for. But then when you give them that moment to laugh, that a lot of times that's what they needed and they didn't realize that's what they needed. And so, you know, I, it's funny because you talk about words. I can remember looking through um, the Bible and the word happiness is, is, you know, 20 times or something. And the word joy is, is, is written 
hundreds of times mm. or it's like something like 10 or 20 times more because that idea of joy is it's not dependent on circumstance it's not dependent on your your outward you know uh, outer conditions and so that idea of joy is a resistant act it is a an offensive act against despair it's not just a coping mechanism it can be that but when we laugh it's like we we right-size the threats and we right-size the fears and we become larger than them because we can laugh at them literally um mm -hmm. so i've always been using humor to diffuse tense situations yes and to <laughs> to you know make friends in a crowd but but i really have used it as an uh an act of ministry mm -hmm. because that it it does things that nothing else can do mm -hmm. it's like a toolbox and you go well laughter is this thing that um, you, it, it defies logic. It just, you open your mouth and these sounds come out of you and your whole body responds. And it's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you have a joke right now? <laughs> no, I still only have the same one. The same one. I, I talk about the fact that I was giving this message this week on humor and I had never learned a joke and I'm 49 years old. And so I, I read one and kind of customized it. And the joke is, uh, you know, I'm trying really hard to get healthy and to lose weight, and it's difficult because I, I really love donuts and they're unhealthy. And now that I've been trying to eat healthier, I have the whenever I see donuts, I have these two voices in my head. One voice says, "Eat the donuts," and the other voice says, "You heard him." <laughs> and and so yeah, that's uh, I'm, that's I'm, awesome. I'm working at my repertoire. I'm gonna learn another one this week, and maybe I'll. Would start. you remember my? Right, is the, the 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 wolf. So okay, I have yes, this wolf, yes. and, and he's really restless. So I decided to start teaching him meditation, and now he's a werewolf. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah, and that's you know that's so funny because when you ask a question like that, people have these things, and then the, because they almost pull them out like swords, like oh, wait, you hear what I have, and you realize like that is a just a powerful weapon um, in the it face is. of the things that would you know bring us uh, sadness. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, I, I love um, when I come to hear your sermons. How you not only have messages to share, but you always invite response, and at yes. the end. Uh, most of the summons that I've, I've seen you do, you ask people what they're thinking. And um, again, it's like a power of, of kindness, you know, giving space, yeah. giving that um, platform that you have for other people's voices to be heard and, and feelings yeah. to be shared. How did you come to, to do that? Have you always done that? Well, that was a, uh, our, our, in our uh, North Raleigh Community Church. It's where our minister, Doug Hammock, had started that as a, a way of just um, making the community less just about one person. And so I kind of begin to do that whenever I travel around the country because often I'm in a place where I've been invited and people are coming to here because they've read the blog or the book and you become a focal point and all, and just like in the build room that we're in now, it's a group of chairs all facing one direction and one person who stands in front of those. And they're either on a stage or behind a pulpit and it begins to give you the illusion that that person is more important. So by asking people what they're thinking, I let them know what they have to say is as valid as what I have to say. And the story that they've lived is as important and meaningful as my story. And it's just hopefully a reminder, mm. you know. Mm, that's really wonderful because mm. then the people in the community, especially if you were only speaking with them once, then they right. they have that memory and they have that experience of that of their community with you. Right. That's a really And I think that's, you know, I wish more spiritual leaders or people in the churches uh, could do that because often you could attend a, a faith community 
for 10 years and only hear two or three people's voices in that context. But how beautiful would it be if we figured out how to hear hundreds of voices? Mm. Um, we'd all be richer for it. Mm. You know? mm. That's wonderful. You have a, a wonderful community on Patreon of mm. people yes. that support you. And it's been incredible to watch that support grow of your, for your work and, um, and those amazing people yeah. around the world that, you know, that are supporting you. And I saw that if you, if you get to your goal, you want to have a, a foodie show. Yes. <laughs> I want to hear about that. Yes. You know, part of, you know, when I, if you don't know my story, you know, be, being a more inclusive pastor and talking more explicitly about area, you know, issues of sexuality and gender and race, um, I, I was fired from my job and not knowing which way to go and then trying to figure out, could I be the minister that I am and and do it without having a local church at the time and so people began i reached out through patreon and people began sponsoring me and partnering me with this and they basically are have been saying to me i you know i believe in your voice in the world and so i want to help and and in a really tangible practical way it it helps me do this work and so it's been amazing just to watch that sort of partnership allow me to to do this work. I remember when I started the Patreon page, they had these goals, and I thought, well, what is like a big dream thing yeah. that would be so ridiculous? Uh, because I, I'd never be able to do it. Which we're actually getting closer. But the idea, I, I love food. You know, I've talked about the table, I've talked the donuts. About, I, yes, it's all there, and I'm always kind of food centric. I try to do it in a healthy way, but I I just love having. I love cooking. I love sitting with people and saying, you know, I travel around the country right now and people always want to go, oh, where do you go to this place in our town? And so the idea is called Food Evangelist. Uh, the idea of the show would be because <laughs> people are passionate about what they love, right? So just the religious fervor people have of going, you have got to go here. So I thought, well, what if it would be like to meet with you, Becky, and say, where is the your favorite spot that you go to and the thing that you love to eat? And we would sit over that table and we would talk about our journeys and just eat the food that you love. And um, yeah, so that's that's the dream. <laughs> that's awesome. So I wanted to ask you this question, but this may be it. If you could attempt anything and failure is not even part of the equation that you would absolutely succeed what would you do <laughs> yeah I, I mean you know even if failure will happen at least i'll get some good meals in the process but you know there is there is a um i talk about cooking a lot that for me it's a therapeutic act it's a way that i kind of tap into some of the more creative elements of life but i also love it because it's it's something that you give to someone and you often you watch their response to it you experience it um, so yeah, cooking, it would be like sort of one of those things. Like if I could sit, you know, be in a chef, be a chef or be next to one and just do help them, uh, that, that's a pretty outrageous thing. I love preparing a menu and it's very much like preparing a, a worship gathering. Like you, you sit there and you're saying, people are going to come in, you're going to give them hospitality. What do you want them to experience and feel? Very similar mm, things. Mm, yeah. Did you design your, I know you have a line of t-shirts, did you? Oh yeah, yeah, these are all, you know, my wife Jen and I designed them. She is the, the hands-on artist and I'm the annoying art director who yells behind her to <laughs> change and move things. Um, but, but this, we both met in art school and so, it, you know, this is a, a way for me, we call them our health insurance t-shirts because practically speaking, we help offset the cost of just living and having children um, and caring for them. But for me, it's a way to help people if 
if the words inspire them, they can actually wear them and walk around. And it's just a way to declare, you know, some affinity with what I write. And it's really a cool thing to see that. And John's t-shirt says, be the kind of person the world needs. And I'll include a link too to your okay, great. Uh, Etsy shop, right? Awesome, and, yes. Because uh, we need more of these uh, messages in the world That's on right, people yes. walking billboards for, for kindness. Well, and it's, and it's really neat when you, the comments that I get wearing this or wearing some of the other shirts... And people will just, they see it, or even if they don't see, say anything, I see their eyes look at it. And just the fact that it says, be the kind of person the world needs, whatever that means to them, they're now going to carry that out and think about it a little bit, maybe. And uh, so it's really neat. So on your website, I noticed that you had an aspiration to create a virtual church community mm. and i wondered i mean i feel like you have that I mean, it's yeah. not like sunday service right but um if you you know share a little bit about that vision and and um yeah i mean when i started when i was fired from my job uh at the church and then i had still kept writing and i thought well what can i do i'm going to try to do through the help of the, the my financial supporters and just to just to do it anyway is to keep being a pastor keep being a minister and people would write to me and say, I'm struggling with this. Can I, I don't have anyone I can talk to. And so I would set up an appointment to do like a virtual pastoral care meeting. So meeting with people through Skype. And I've been able to do that with people here in America, but then all over the, the world. And the, the writing is a hub where people gather and the Facebook page and they find some affinity there and they build some relationships. But the hope is to create something even more intentional where people could come and receive receive care or, or receive a listening ear and someone who is like-hearted. Um, and so really, yeah, it's the hope that we could take what's happening with the blog and make it even more, just deeper. Yeah. Community. Yeah. Like yeah. Because virtual community is powerful. The hope is that you eventually could connect people geographically where they live because there's nothing that can replace that. But the the first kind of doorway to that may be an online community. There are a lot of people who are geographically isolated from people who share their beliefs or who they can talk to. And so that really is a, can be a lifeline to people. Yeah. You know, I think doing this work and being in this place, I tell people when I got... When I got fired, a couple weeks later, I wrote a blog post called If I Have Gay Children um, and sent it out just like I had been doing. And it exploded and traveled all throughout the country and throughout the world. And the next day I'm on CNN uh, and being interviewed and underneath, Literally. Yeah, <laughs> and underneath, me, underneath me or in front of me, it says on the screen, John Pavlovitz, pastor. And I say to people, it should have said, uh, also unemployed and despondent, right? Because I had been really struggling. But but those those words that I sent out into the world, they didn't have any financial power behind them. They didn't have any marketing campaign. They were simple words from a deep place. And and then those work did a work in the world and allowed me to do everything that I've done since then. So I, I tell people all the time, you, you are in your story and you are used to the sound of your own voice. And so you don't think those things have resonance or meaning, but they do. And so to keep sharing your story and using your voice and, and realizing that those things will cause ripples in the world. Mm. There is currency in that. Like yeah. we, we like to prioritize as a world 
financial currency. Yes. But there is a currency for the way we communicate with mm. each other, yes. what we give to each other, the way we are present with each other, that carries a currency. It does. And what you did and having however many, I think a while ago it was 1.5 million views on mm. that article, but I think it's a lot more since then because that was a couple of years ago. Right. Um, but just that and what you have done to help advocate for people, for parents to be better parents, to be kind when our children reveal anything to us that is a surprise. Yeah. Just, it, it, it's such a blessing what you, what you, you do in your work. Um, the question that people may be wondering is, why did you get fired from your church when you said yeah. you were fired? Well, you know, in, in many churches, you know, I began to speak more explicitly into matters of race or asking why the church was wasn't as diverse as it could be and, and, and about our theology toward LGBTQ community. And those questions and that explicit kind of voice can be a liability for pastors because faith communities are beholden to a group of people who may have a certain theology. And so the tension there that I created, I think, just gradually became too much and um, which was actually a great relief. It was a release for me. It allowed me to have a more authentic voice. And that's why the blog grew. It wasn't that I became a better writer. It was that I could speak clearly now where before I had to maybe couch things or soften them. And I think for everyone, once you get that gift of being able to be exactly who you are, you don't want to give it up. Yeah. I want to thank Jessica Hudgens for nominating John Pavlitz to be on our program today. We encourage everybody to nominate people who are doing things for kindness, creativity, mm -hmm. and joy in your community anywhere in the world youth and older and elder, yes. the whole gamut of humans. We want to hear your stories and I'd love to connect to see if they'd be a wonderful person to interview. Well, Miss Jessica Hudgens of North Carolina nominated John Pavlovitz mm. and I was grateful for Jess nominating you and just yes. give Jess a shout out. Yeah, Jess, I've known Jess for quite a few years and she is doing all the things I'm doing right where she is and she's an inspirational person who kind of lives love every day and so I'm I'm grateful for you, Jess, and I uh, hope to see you soon. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, John. I'm wondering if there's anything our listeners and myself can do to support you in your work. Hmm. Well, you, you can financially support through through Patreon, patreon.com, and you can look under my name there. And that'll, that is a really tangible way to financially support the work, which allows me to write and speak freely and to you know, do pastoral care for free, to maintain a website that reaches millions of people where they can read it for free. Um, but really, uh, also just simply sharing work on social media or liking it or commenting on it, I tell people that that's like hugging a writer because you you boost that signal, you, you allow it to reach more people, and that just opens up doors for you. So simply the act of interacting with those words is a, is a fantastic support for someone like me. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I, I know that your words are going to lift a lot of people um, with these ideas of things. And I know people can't wait to get their hands on your book, which when this comes out, will be closer to the launch date. Right. You can pre-order the book online and I'll include a link for that. Uh, well, thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, I'm great to be here. Thank you. Have a joy-fueled day. Yes, you as well. <laughs> the joy-fueled theme music is the song Being Kind by Nemo Patel. Our show is produced and hosted by Becky Susick. It is made possible from a global kindness grant from the Pollination Project and from generous listeners like you. 
If possible, please consider donating to help with all the show's costs. Visit www.joyfuel.org. We promise to put your gift to work for kindness, creativity, and joy. Oh